0: Enough of that. If you got your Bibles, open to Ephesians chapter 6 and 1 Kings chapter 22. Ephesians chapter 6, 1 Kings chapter 22. Um, our study today starts with this question Have you ever viewed an adult principle through a childlike lens? All right, have you ever viewed an adult principle through a childlike lens? Just for the record, I kind of gave that to you today. Miss Andrews wasn't just teaching me fractions that day, she was teaching me how to be a responsible adult uh, and to ask for help when there's something that I didn't understand. Um, in church work, I like to think of this through something I, called, I call felt board theology. Do any of you remember that you grew up in church? Any of you remember the felt board that they would put up back in the day? This is before multimedia and uh, uh, before having stuff where you could PowerPoint or ProPresenter or whatever. Um, do you remember back in the day when they would put the felt board up and then they would stick the Bible characters and like walk them across the felt board? Anybody remember that? Raise your hand. Okay, I'm not alone. There we are, right? Felt boards were like all the rage. I don't know if they still are. I mean, maybe you can still get a felt board. What was so funny to me was when you took a really intense Bible story, and you tried to portray it for a small child, where it had a really dark turn, but you're doing it with these cartoon Bible characters up on the board. One of my favorites was David and Goliath, because they would go, here's Goliath, here's David, you'd put the sling and the stones up there, and the story ends with David cutting Goliath's head off, all right? And so again, if you had a really good teacher, one of of my Sunday school teachers growing up, uh, she was just, uh, this this was pretty dark, but it was funny. She was like, well, they, they don't have a detachable head for Goliath. So she tore it off and set it back up on the deal. And we were like, you are awesome. Anyway, all that to say, again, the felt board theology just seems just kind of wide open. The same thing with Samson. Kids love to hear the story of Samson because he was big and strong. Samson made some very adult mistakes. If you go and read through it, he fell into struggles with women, fell into struggles with drinking and eventually he gets his eyes gouged out and he pulls down the pillars in the temple and pull and, uh, and kills thousands of people. Now here's Here's the deal. Feltboard theology. There are certain passages of Scripture that when you read them, you, if you grew up in the church, remember hearing them as kids, but it's very, very important that as an adult you read the passage of Scripture as an adult. The story of David and Goliath is not meant to be told just to children. It is highly applicable for our workplace today. It's highly applicable for your family situation today. The same with Samson and the same with, this, with the example that Paul gives us of the armor of God. Look with me now at Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 10 and instead of seeing it as the felt board where we throw up the different pieces of armor all right, like a bunch of kids looking at this review this as an adult with adult struggles, with adult problems that we have every single day that's how Paul is writing this. He's not writing this to kids. He's writing this for any phase of life, for any struggle that we could have on the spectrum. Look at what it says in verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power underline in his mighty powers paul starts off this entire discussion by saying we don't just need strength to make it through the world today we need the strength of almighty god we have to stand in his power in order to be able to survive verse 11 Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not of flesh and blood, but against rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Stop there for just a second. Paul says our struggle is not just the one we see, but it very much is the one that we don't see as well happening again outside of what we are experiencing with our own. Eyes and with our own hands. Verse 13, he says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, and it will come, that you will be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, It says, stand firm, look at this, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Circle, highlight, and underline the belt of truth buckled around your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to this, take up the shield of faith for which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of the Lord. Underline the sword of the spirit, which is the word of the Lord. What a beautiful passage to remind us. The day of evil is not just a possibility. It is a certainty for believers. You will have to stand up against the devil's schemes and against times and days of great difficulty. And then he says, start it all off with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and then don't miss this. He finishes it off with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the Lord. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? The armor of God both starts and ends with the truth. It starts with the belt of truth and then it's reiterated as the sword of the spirit which is the word of God, the ultimate truth that we have, God's word given and passed down to us. If you want to be able to stand against the devil's wicked schemes, it starts and ends with you being on the side of the truth. So back in the day, had a crazy moment. We, by the way, uh, got, uh, got word by our mission partners over in Slovakia and Eastern Europe. Uh, we are going to be doing a small mission trip to Slovakia this year uh, in uh, July to help them with their English camp. Uh, very excited to be able to announce that. Um, I still, whenever I think back about Slovakia, always remember the year that I lost my passport. That is one of the most embarrassing things that can happen. Uh, for somebody who was leading the trip, I've done, gone to Europe many, many times um, for, uh, for mission projects, and uh, this particular year, um, Jordan and Casey Long, God bless you guys. Y'all were there and uh, available to pick up the mantle, but I don't know what happened. We keep it in a safe, uh, and uh, I went to the safe, and it was not there. Autumn's was there. The kid's were were there, but mine, for some reason, was not there. And I remember, I go to the safe, try to find my passport, and like literally, the team takes off in like three hours, and all of a sudden, I have no passport. So here's the deal, even though I've planned the trip, Even though we've built the team, even though we've purchased the ticket, even though the church has put a whole bunch of money into the project to do the ministry over there, even though I have responsibilities, if I don't have the passport, then none of it matters. You're not getting to travel. Uncle Sam is keeping me here. And I praise God we had some connections at the State Department where you guys helped me so that 24 hours later I could get out and get there to be with the team. But I'm telling you, without that passport, they're not letting you on board. When it comes to you standing against the devil's wicked schemes, don't miss this. It starts and ends with the truth. You've got to be on the side of the truth or else none of the rest of it matters. From the beginning, the belt that goes around our waist that holds our armor together, and the sword is what's used to fight against the enemy. It starts and ends with the truth. If you don't have that, you will deeply struggle. So, if you have the truth and the enemy comes against us, we're going to look at a story today where an individual named Micaiah has the truth, but he is still persecuted. For telling the truth. If you're taking notes, write this down. Our big million dollar question today How do the wicked seek to weaken the power of the truth? How do the wicked seek to weaken the power of the truth? Micaiah has a truth that is extremely inconvenient for those who are in power. And because of that, they try to chip away at the effectiveness of the truth. But ladies and gentlemen, I just want to remind you today, the truth will always be the truth. And it's the reason why, for believers in Jesus Christ, it is the belt that holds all our armor together. It is the sword that we are able to use to fight forward and to fight against the enemy and his wicked schemes. There are some of you coming in today that people are trying to weaken the truth in your life on multiple different fronts. I hope today will be an encouragement to you. Stick to the truth, and don't let the world, those in power, don't let those in your workplace, don't even let those who are close to you and your family try to destroy the power of the truth, because the truth will always be the truth. Now look at 1 Kings chapter 22, and we're going to look at verses 15 through 23 as we continue our study of the life of Ahab and Elijah. And here in this passage, we get to meet uh, again our friend Micaiah, who is the prophet who's been brought out of prison to try to affirm this battle uh, that Ahab's going to go into to win Ramoth Gilead. Now remember, they've brought him out of jail. They've led him before the council. There's all these other prophets that are there that have said uh, falsely uh, that there are going to be no consequences to this decision that are made, but Micaiah Micaiah actually hears from the Lord, and it's the reason everybody is hanging on his every word on this. Look at verse 15. It says this. It says, When Micaiah arrived, the king asked him, Micaiah, shall we go to war with Ramoth against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? Attack and be victorious, he said, for the Lord will give it into the king's hands. The king said to him, How many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? It says, Then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd, and the Lord said these people have no master let each one go to his home. Now stop right there for just a minute. They're inquiring of God because they want to know if they should go and try to take back this home city in Ramoth-Gilead because remember ben the wicked leader of Aram, uh, he has uh, said he would give it back in a treaty, but he's not giving it back to him. So right here what we have in this passage is Micaiah starts off and he says, "Yep, you're going to be victorious in the campaign." But you can tell there's a of something else to the story. So Ahab at this point is inviting Micaiah to lie that he has no other information. He's inviting him to lie. And then if he does, then Micaiah gets set free from prison and he doesn't have to endure persecution anymore. The problem is it's not the full truth. It's not accurate. So what happens next? He goes, are you ready to swear? Are you ready to state your faith on this moment that this is the truth? And Micaiah, then, seeing that again his character is at stake, his relationship with Almighty God is at stake, he says, I saw all Israel scattered like sheep without a shepherd. What he's just told him is you'll be victorious in the battle, but you will die in the process. You want all the information? There it is. Now can I tell you why that's interesting? once Ahab dies, Micaiah probably gets out of jail. He thought of that. All he's got to do is tell him, yep, go for it. You will be successful. I saw that much in the vision that I had. But Micaiah has to be truthful, and the truth will always be the truth. Look at what Ahab's response is in verse 18. It says, the king of Israel then said to Jehoshaphat, that's the other king from Judah, didn't I tell you that he never prophesied anything good about me, but only bad? Underline that because that is an incredibly manipulative statement. Didn't I tell you that he never prophesied anything good about me, but only bad? What we're about to read in these next verses are the vision that Micaiah has. I want you to read these verses through the proper perspective. What he's about to give us is not an accurate play by play interpretation of what heaven looks like or how heaven works. What he's about to do is he's about to share his vision. If you want to write this down, you can. A vision is a way for an earthly mind to grasp a heavenly concept. Let me say that one more time. A vision is a way for an earthly mind to grasp a heavenly concept. What he's about to give us is insight not into the throne room of Almighty God, but rather the concept that the Lord is trying to portray that Ahab is being lied to because it has already been written that this is something that is going to happen. Look at verse 19. It says, Micaiah kin- continued, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the hosts of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this and the other that. Finally, a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means? The Lord asked. I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and it. So now the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. By the way, a more accurate translation there is not the Lord has put a lying spirit, but rather God has permitted Satan to deceive him. Uh, That is the greater example that's in this passage. This is a hard passage to break down, and so again, I promised you we'd go verse by verse through all of them. This is a vision. This is not the actual throne room of Almighty God. Satan has no place and no presence with God because God is holy, and God can have no part with things that are unholy. It's a picture to give him a description, a vision to give him a breakdown down of a heavenly concept that's taking place here, and every person hearing it would have understood that when they were hearing it from him. If you're taking notes, how do the wicked seek to? Uh, how do the wicked seek to weaken the power of the truth? Number one, first and foremost, through manipulation. Through manipulation, when you have the truth, and it is inconvenient or it halts someone else's agenda. You need to know their next move is to try to manipulate the details so that then your way supports their way. And when it comes to matters that are spiritual, this is definitely the way that the devil likes to work. He tries to manipulate the person, and if he can't manipulate the person, he tries to manipulate their story to fit the, uh, to fit the uh, narrative that he wants it to fit. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. How do you fight manipulation? Fight. Fight manipulation by remembering the details and sticking to the truth. Let me say that again. Fight manipulation by remembering the details and sticking to the truth. If you have someone in your life, again, at home, at work, in society, in your community, that has a, a very vested interest in your truth not being told anymore, what they will try to do is morph the details just a little bit, try to spin the details just a a little bit, because then it sounds like you are affirming their narrative. When the truth is, it's not the truth. For some of you who work as lawyers, I mean, this is a tactic in the legal area, in the in the legal realm, where again you try to twist it just a little bit so that it is inclusive to the case that you are making. How do you fight against that level of manipulation? What Micaiah does is he says, "I'm just going to tell you every detail of the story that I experienced." Once you You step back into that world and remember those details. It reminds you what the truth is in your situation. It's a powerful thing to remember the details and to stick to the truth. So back in the day was 16 years old. I only got into two wrecks in my whole life. Both of them I was 16 and didn't know how to drive. All right. Um, I, my first car was a 1987 Honda Accord with pop up headlights. All right. You remember the pop up headlights? Um, it was great, but man, you bumped one thing and you could not drive at night anymore because those headlights wouldn't pop up. Well, for me, I've only had two wrecks my whole life. It was a standard. I am 280D, ADD, I think, to drive a standard long term. Every other car I've had has been an automatic. I've not had any wrecks since then. But my very, very first wreck was really, really sad. My first wreck that I got into, I was driving down... Indiana Avenue in Lubbock, Texas uh, Between 50th Street and 34th Excuse me, between 34th Street and 19th Street It's 40 mile an hour speed limit And I'm driving with my best friend Cleo Who you all heard about before My best friend Cleo and I have just finished football practice And we, excuse me, FCA We did football practice And then Fellowship of Christian Athletes gathering And I'm driving Cleo home He lives off of 4th Street So I'm almost to his house As I'm driving down the road At 40 miles an hour all of a sudden, a woman in her 60s tries to speed out and turn left in front of me. And when she does, she tries to cut across, and I end up hitting her on the side. But she's turned left and was 100% in the wrong Well, after that happens, I'm so scared. The edge of the car's been hit. Cleo's in there with me, thank God. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just like, oh my goodness, I can't believe what just happened. And after it's over, the first thing in me is to find out if the woman's okay, because her car has spun around there on the side. Well, I stop, I get out, and I go, ma'am, are you okay? And again, she's 100% at fault in this. She goes, oh, she goes, that was just so scary. That was so scary. She goes, I've never been in a wreck in my entire life and she sees how young I am and then here's what she says she looks at me and she goes oh, weren't you going a little fast she is 100% in the wrong I was not speeding but at 16 I've been driving for like two months at that point and all of a sudden in that moment I'm like uh, uh and Cleo sitting next to me goes no he wasn't speeding all of a sudden she goes are you sure? Are you sure you weren't speeding? And at that point, praise God, a police officer showed up. When the police officer pulls up, he comes up, and I'm so worked up because I'm like, she's trying to like, give me fault in this. And she was the one who was turning on that side. And the police officer, seeing it, she throws into this dramatic, hit me he was driving so fast and da, 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 da. and i'm sitting over there on the side and i go but but and then the police officer looks at me and goes sir stand off to the side and i'm over there and cleo's with me and i'm telling you minister's cursed too i apologize i was 16 all right but i'm telling you i was so angry because she was manipulating the truth she had didn't have a leg to stand on once they did the research. But if she could get me to admit or even come alongside for a time and affirm the falsehood that she was pitching, then at some point she could get out of at least a percentage of the wreck. After the police officers told me to go off to the side, he sits with her. She's being dramatic. She's crying. And then all of a sudden I can see him over on the side. He looks over at me. He looks at the car, he sees the location, and then at that point he looks at her and says, "Ma'am, would you please go back to your car? Police officer walks over to me and he goes, hey, I'm sorry. He said, it's completely her fault. He said, you were just driving down the road. He said, there would've been a whole bunch more skid marks if you'd been driving faster than 40 miles an hour. He goes, you're gonna be fine. He said, this is before the time of cell phones, I'm old, all right? He said, let's call your mom. And let's get your parents up here so they can see what happened. Now listen. The truth will always be the truth. And if they can't beat your truth, they will try to manipulate you. They will try to manipulate you, and then if they can't get you, they'll try to manipulate your story. And the goal is to try to affirm and push whatever personal agenda it is that they're trying to push against you. But the truth is the belt around our waist. It's the sword in our hand that we use to fight against the wicked schemes of the enemy. The more truth you have, the better off you're going to be. By the way, little verse here. Save your spot there and look at Psalm chapter 145, verse 18. Here's what the psalmist has to say. Psalm 145, verse 18. It says, the Lord is near to all who call on him. Look at this. To all who call on him, what? In truth. To not just call on God, but to call on God with a foundation of the truth, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. That's the way that you don't end up with your pants down. Is that a good word? If you're taking notes, it begs the question, is someone trying to change your story? Is someone in your life trying to change your story. Now look at 1 Kings chapter 22 and let's look at verses 24 through 25. This is crazy to me. Again, this guy's just told the truth. Now look at what happens to him in verse 24. They abuse him. It says, then Zedekiah, the son of Kenna. Now underline where it says the son of Kenna. For them to say son of whoever, that means that this person has a good reputation. That this is someone who's revered in the community. And yet look at what he does. Then Zedekiah, son of Kenna, went up and slapped Micaiah in the face. Underline slap Micaiah in the face. Which way did the Spirit of God go from you? When he, uh, which way did the Spirit of God go when he went from me to speak to you, he asked. Now, I love this because Micaiah, Micaiah has been in prison. He's a little salty at this point, right? They've tried to bully him. They've tried to push him. So watch what Micaiah does here. Read again, as you read this next verse, verse 25, read the saltiness in what he says. It says, then verse 25, Micaiah replied, you'll find out on the day you go and hide in an inner room. Alright? He goes, one day when you go crouch in your closet, he goes, that's when you'll know where the Spirit of God went after he talked to me. All right, What he does there is he comes back, and even though he's been physically abused and then verbally abused, Micaiah comes back and says, truth is the truth, Jack, and that's what you got to deal with right now. It happened one way, and you know what the truth is going to be. You know that you're trying to stay in the king's good graces, but as soon as he dies, you are in big trouble because you are accountable for these awful decisions that you've made. Things that you've claimed as truth that are not true. If you're taking notes, how do the wicked seek to weaken the power of the truth? Number one, through manipulation. And number two, through intimidation. Through intimidation. Both both verbally and physically. Can you imagine an official meeting where they slap a dude in the face that they summoned to speak because they wanted to hear his opinion on behalf of Almighty God? Verbal and physical abuse. If you don't take anything else away from today, some of you need to hear this next line. Are you ready? When the wicked cannot defeat the truth, the next best option is to mistreat the messenger. Can I say that to you one more time? When the wicked cannot defeat the truth, their next best option is to mistreat, (laughs) mistreat, there you go, like it's a person, mistreat the messenger for some of you, you needed to hear that today. That mistreat. You all see that? There we go. Thank you, Josiah. I appreciate that. I text the stuff in, and so autocorrect is always a lot of fun. If you ever see anything, a lot of times it's autocorrect. Moving on. He can't beat the truth. Zedekiah knows that the Lord has not told him to do this thing, and yet what does he do? We have a situation where he then slaps him in front of everybody. He belittles him, and then he verbally assaults him. And what does Micaiah do? Micaiah at that point goes, you'll see. You see, that's the response of the believer in Jesus Christ when someone tries to manipulate you and then eventually abuse you into doing what they want you to do. The truth is the truth. It's the old word of Davy Crockett. You ever heard this? My dad used to quote it all the time. Decide what is right and then proceed. Decide what is right and then proceed. There is so much of our faith in Christ lived out here in this city Where that line is so true. Decide what is right and then proceed because you're going to have to live with the consequences of how you handle the truth. Be the one who handles it properly. I've told you a long version of this story before. I'll tell you the short version today. I had a situation where in a job that I was in, I was asked to do something that I truly believed to be deeply unethical. I would not do it. And I was called in by my supervisors at that point, and they said, you are insubordinate and disloyal. Their exact words. You're insubordinate and disloyal. They said, if you go over our heads and break chain of command, you'll be fired on the spot. And they said, just know it's been reported to the personnel committee that you would not do this thing, that you've been insubordinate and disloyal. There were five times through a period of five months where I had that exact conversation. And I was 28 years old. I was young, and I didn't quite understand the way that the world works. Of course you go to your boss with something that's unethical or even potentially illegal that someone's asked you to do that you won't do. Of course you take that up the chain. But at 28, I believed that I had to obey chain of command, and nobody wants to be labeled insubordinate or disloyal. So finally, it got to the point where either I had to do what they asked me to do or I had to quit. And I quit without another job. I do not affirm that you do that, by the way, because it was the scariest thing I've ever done, including planting a church. It was the scariest thing I've ever done in my life, not knowing where my child's medical benefits were gonna come from, not knowing how we were gonna pay bills. It was the scariest time of my entire life. I remember I got a call from the chairman of the personnel committee doing an exit interview like they did with all staff that left. And I remember he said, man, this was so out of the blue, Zach. Why would you quit? And I said, well, you should know my insubordination and disloyalty five times in the last five months have been reported to you. The man laughed out loud on the phone. And he goes, son, there's two sides to every story. He said, we hadn't even met in five months. He goes, I really wish you'd told somebody that this was happening to you. And I said, I was told if I did, I'd be fired. Can I tell you how my eyes are open now? I believe the Lord allowed me to go through that because I've gotten to share that story with many people on the hill over the years out here, and that's how a lot of your offices operate as well. Can I just say this to you? If you have the truth... The truth is the most important piece of the whole deal. It's the belt around your waist. It's the sword that you use to fight forward in Jesus' name. The truth will always be the truth. At the end of the day, I am so glad I don't work there anymore. But man, I'm telling you, if you are going through a period of intimidation, know that the Lord has better things in store for you than this. If you're the person that feels like whatever unethical thing they've asked you to do is better than being jobless, it was frightening being jobless, but it was so much better than having to twist the truth every day when I walked into work. Jesus says it this way. Save your spot there in 1 Kings, but look at John chapter 19, verse 10. John chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus has just been whipped with the cat-of-nine-tails 39 times. By the way, the cat-of-nine-tails is not just a bull whip. It was a whip that had nine different ends that came off of it, each one of them with pieces of bone and metal, fashioned like fish hooks. Whenever they would whip someone with the cat-of-nine-tails, they would whip, catch, and pull until it literally ripped the flesh from your bodies. Most people died during the whipping with the cat-of-nine-tails. One scholar even said this, the reason that Mary Magdalene couldn't identify Jesus in the garden after his resurrection was because there were stories of it literally lip- ripping the nose off your face or the ear off your head. Jesus' flesh would have been unrecognizable after the whipping of the cat and tails. And it's in that moment that we get John chapter 19, verse 10. He's been whipped. He's standing before Pilate. And now look at verse 10. Here is the, uh, not just manipulation, but the intimidation physically and verbally. All of a sudden, verse 10, and Pilate says, do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have the power to either free you or crucify you? But watch what Jesus does in the power of the truth. It always gives me chills to read it. Verse 11, Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of greater sin. What Jesus does here in this moment is Pilate kneels down as Jesus is panting and bleeding to death right there on the sidewalk and he leans down and goes, Jesus, you want to cry, uncle? You want to cry, uncle? He goes, you think the cat of nine tails was bad 39 times? I had them go easy on you, Jesus. Don't you know I have the power to crucify you in my back pocket where they drag nine inch nails through your hands and feet and watch you suffocate to death in front of your friends and family? Cry, uncle, Jesus. Say that it's all false. Say that it's all fake. Just affirm the uh, affirm that the truth is not the truth, and then I'll let you go. I won't persecute you anymore. But the Son of God, praise God, raises up and says, you have have no power over me that's not given to you from above this isn't about you and me pilot this is about me and my father and us reconciling our favorite creation to us I can see the finish line and I'm about to cross it now listen that's the power of the truth the truth is realizing that whatever it is they threaten you with it is way way worse to go with that thing than it is to affirm a falsehood. than it is to cling to the truth cling to the truth do what's right The truth is the belt around our waist. It's the sword in our hand. It begs the question, is someone trying to discourage you? Is someone trying to discourage you? At home, at work, in your faith, in government, is someone trying to discourage you? If they are, through manipulation or intimidation, the truth will always be the truth. Always. And then we get the end of the story look at first kings 22 verses 26 through 28 i wish i could tell you that just by doing the right thing once will allow the persecution to stop sadly it doesn't verse 26 it says so the king of israel then ordered him take micaiah and send him back to Aon, the ruler of the city and to joash the king's son and say, this is what the king says, put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. Bread and water and prison. If you want to write this down, you can. Barely relevant, barely alive. He takes the thread up a notch and he goes, you know what, if you won't bend, then I remove you from my sight. Look at what he says again. The is so salty here. Verse 28. Micaiah declared, underline that word declared, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. He And then he added, mark my words, all of you. If you're taking notes, how do the wicked seek to weaken the power of the truth? Number one, through manipulation. Number two, through intimidation. And number three, through cancellation. Through cancellation. There's a point where Just the person's very presence becomes a declaration of the truth of what took place. So what do you do on Facebook when you don't want to see somebody who's made you upset? You unfriend it, and it leaves the timeline. You don't see them anymore. What do you do on YouTube when you don't want to watch the ads? You pay the price for premium. And then all of a sudden, they're gone from your sight. Those companies still exist. They're still at work. But you don't have to see it anymore. And you're not cognizant of what's being put on the channel. If you're taking notes, write this down. The very presence of righteousness changes the dynamic of the room without a word being spoken. The very presence of the the righteous changes the dynamic of the room without a word being spoken. There are some of you in this room and skip by the way the political ramifications of the word cancel okay listen to me there's some of you in this room who have had friends that have canceled their contact with you because you stood for christ because you stood for something that was right and then they can no longer see you for anyone to do that to another person it is not biblical to say i can never look upon your face ever again Scripture says that we are to love our enemies. Now, there's a difference between letting someone have control over you and in saying to somebody, uh, again, I love you. I'll pray for you. We can't collaborate. We can't be yoked together on things any longer. But again, I can still see you because I believe God's plan for your life is that you would be redeemed and reconciled. That's the way that every believer should feel. In this circumstance, They look and they go, we heard you out, Micaiah. Now back to jail with you. And then only bread and water until we return safely. (laughs) What did that even matter? What did it matter what he ate until they came back from the battle? It was all just cruelty to try to get him to recant. But Micaiah, like a drowning man to a buoy, clings to the truth because the truth will always be the truth. Begs the final question Should you stop waiting for a hater's affirmation or invitation? Let me say that again. Should you stop waiting for a hater's affirmation or invitation? This last principle hits closer to home because there are some people that tell you until you affirm whatever it is that they are pushing for that is unbiblical that they then will withhold their presence from you or they stop inviting you to parties or they stop inviting you to gatherings until you believe the same thing. I want to encourage you. One of my prayers has been for individuals who end up having to draw a line with someone and say, I can't follow you and I cannot affirm what it is that you're doing because it's against scripture. One of my big prayers for you guys has been, Lord, for every one phone number you remove from the address book, provide 10 godly, provide 10 godly friends to fill in the gap. The Lord is able to bless those who cling to the truth. And for the enemy, if he can't beat the truth, he's going to try to discourage you. If you're taking notes, our final question again, should you stop waiting for a hater's affirmation or invitation? Thanks for listening today, guys. I told you these later round stories, these are stories in scripture. Micaiah's story, I I had even forgotten that this guy existed until we went back through this passage, and now, dude, he's like one of my heroes, you know what I mean? I'm telling you, none of you are here by accident. And for such a time as this, you could go, your entire, you go to church every Sunday for the rest of your life. Some of you who are young, you could go 60 more years to church and not hear a sermon series on Micaiah, all right? And not because it was unbiblical, just because he's such a minor character. And yet you're here today, and you're hearing this message. The truth, the truth is the belt around our waist. It's the sword in our hand to keep fighting forward. Let's cling to it properly. Let's bow our heads.